And welcome back to the On Coaching Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, John Marcus. John, what's going on, my man? Steve, I gotta let him know we're back to give the people what they want. Let them know, baby, we're back. We ain't never left. That's right. We just keep these things coming. Keep the info coming. Keep the podcasts flowing. That's what we do. Even though life is crazy, John's doing his D1 head coach thing. I'm doing my try to coach up a newborn thing. You know, <laughs> it's uh, both both difficult tasks. I got to say, do, hey, we, we practice what we preach, y'all. We do hard things. That's right. We do. Um, but you know what, John, before we jump into this week's episode, which I'm really stoked about because it, what is it? What greatness really looks like, the characteristics that drive elite performance. We're talking the stuff that actually works, not the BS, not the appearance without the substance, the stuff that the greats of the great the elite performers, the Olympians all. Today. The skinny. We're going to give you the 411. That's what right. Before we got to do that, I got to talk. I got to talk to you about another group. In fact, maybe one of the greatest. Tell them, Steve. Tell them about Steve's corner. That thing is new and exciting. I want to know more about it, please. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not talking about myself on here, but two <laughs> things. Two things that have launched recently with the Running Scholar program. First, we dropped. The start of the biomechanics, the Tom Telez method. What is what is this? I'll tell you what it is. I went back through my notes, handwritten, typed up, you know, papers that Telez had written probably like 50 years ago, if we're honest. Yeah. For you real. know, going back, uh, I kid you not, going back through his master's thesis, which was on the shot put, believe it or not, biomechanics Whoa. of the shot put that Whoa. was written. I don't, I don't know, sixty years ago, seventy years ago. It was, it was a while back. Um, but going through all that stuff because you know I've, I've worked with Coach Telez since, gosh, I was a teenager, and going through all the notes on our conversations and discussions with him, and, and organizing it into you know some content that walks you through his biomechanical program and the reason i love this and john knows this as well is that yeah we're, we'll talk about you know elastic energy return and all that stuff but the bread and butter of the telez method is keep it simple take the complex make it simple and actionable and that's the theme of this course so if you ever wanted something that you can practically use to work on your distance runners mechanics this is the course for you we got it going and then of course i started steve's corner in the clubhouse which you know i love the clubhouse we got all sorts of good stuff going i said you know what how can i use this better and since we all know that twitter or x or whatever is falling apart at the death. seams death, death. x death to x <laughs> i said you know what <laughs> x twitter was where i put out my thoughts you know i tested ideas i threw out workouts i threw out things i was struggling with why don't i just throw those out on the scholar program so steve's corner is the interesting studies i come across they go in there the thoughts i have 
they go in there. Actually, this morning I just went to a cross country uh, race watching uh, my my wife's cousin, who's in high school, run. And then afterwards, I got flooded by a group of high school kids, you know, runners, asking me all sorts of questions. And it it really struck me. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Like there were some insights there. Guess guess where that kind of right up went. Steve's corner. Hey, so love it. You know, if you want to learn more, I'm taking questions as well. Answer them all. If you want to, if you got a question on something you heard in the pod, something I wrote, something in the courses, drop it in there. I'm going to answer it. I'm going to get back to you. We're going to go deep on training because that's what we do. So if those things sound good, just join the running scholar program. And I got to add, so someone posted uh, on my Instagram, I wanted anything about the scholar program. I said, had some running tweet. And one of our scholar members said, hey, you got to get, you know, just commented to someone else like, hey, you got to get this. This is where the I think the insight on Igloy and Flux training were. That was the question. Question I get Igloy and Flux training. One of our scholars says, this is the place. And the person responded, yeah, but I'm not a coach. I'm just a runner. Will I benefit? When our scho- a, another of our scholars responded, yes, lots of non-coaches there. Yes, you will. And I want to make that clear is, yes, we're aimed at coaching and stuff, but it's about getting better. And if you're an athlete, you're going to find ways to integrate this stuff into your training. You're going to find the psychology, the mental side of sport courses that we have useful. So long-winded, I'll stop there, but I'm just jazzed about everything we're doing in the Scholar Program. So you, you better just, you just need to sign up yeah no it's it's a call to arms right especially as we develop new um quote-unquote digital spaces to converse and dialogue with the old spaces or convenient ones like say prior message boards or prior social media outlets like x start to erode or don't become as rich of a resource for those dialogues to be had you know, we that's Steve and I saw it coming a long, long time ago, and that's why we created the scholar program is to maintain that space. And it just costs a dollar and like a nickel a day or something. It's not that much, but it, you, the value return is so, so great if you use it. Spot on. It's it's valuable. We we're just kind of bringing the content. All right. So you heard the pitch. Check it out. But this week, what greatness really looks like. John, I'm excited about this because this this kind of gets us. It it you know, actually I'm gonna tell a personal story to get this one going. My junior year of high school, you know, young Steve is running around. He's got a official mile PR of four seventeen. He's pretty good, but you know, has never made it to the state meet on the track. Has never placed in the top, I don't know, 15 in the state cross country meet. He's a good high school runner, but, you know, hadn't quite put it together. And then, as many listeners know, senior year, I take off. Dropped 401, you know, win state on the track, do some great things in cross, improve a lot. And a lot of questions I got are, well, well, 
how'd you do that? And a lot of people point to the mileage and bumping stuff up and all that matters. But you know what? If you go look at my log from that year, cross country, I didn't miss a day of training. I took my break after cross country, track season, didn't miss a day of training. I was known for high mileage, but you know, get this consistency from the end of cross country season all the way until the state meet. The state meet on the track in whatever, late May, was the first week out of all those weeks that was under 80 miles a week. Mm-hmm. Consistency. Stacking week after week, month after month of good, solid work is what leads to breakthroughs. And that is the characteristic, I think, the defining characteristic that all the greats have. Well, that was the shortest podcast we ever did. (laughs) (laughs) Done, out, call it. Wow. All right. We're getting getting efficient here. (laughs) But, you know, that's the thing, right? I mean, we joke, but the secret is no secret. It's I call it stacking. Steve calls it stacking. Can you stack those days, weeks, months in a row and not lose the love and the passion and the enthusiasm for the journey? You know, I've been referencing like Kobe Bryant a lot with uh, the the Poland State men's cross country team because they all are kind of like hoopers and know and love Kobe and the the fun debate, Kobe, LeBron, Jordan, etc. But the mentality that Kobe brings in some of the fun little Instagram reels that exist, you know, of him. It, it, he talks a lot about the journey, right? As all, all of us do or perfecting your craft. And the reality is this, right? If you win, you got to go to bed the next day, get up again and do the whole journey all over again. If you lose, you got to get up the next day and do the journey all over again. A lot of people want greatness because they want a pinnacle and then they want to stay static at that pinnacle. Like, I have this mark, and I'm in this mark forever. I won this medal, and I have this medal forever. And you do. You do have the memory and the experience of it forever. But doesn't tomorrow is a new day, right? It's not like Josh Kerr is sitting here and Danny Mackey sitting here going, great, we're the world champion in the 1500 and world champion coach in the 1500. And now it's just people are going to hand us that medal every time we show up to the big one. It's not like Mike Smith does that at NU, right? Everyone knows every season, every day, every week, the journey has to be repeated. And I think that's where we lose the plot in this person ran this amazing old record in these super shoes. And oh my God, if I just buy the super shoes, then that will equal I can run fast too. And sure, 100%. But we all have greatness in us. We just have to create in our mind the circumstances for us to be able to measure that in a way that's not outcome oriented, but in how I frame it nowadays in the park blocks here at Portland State, show up oriented. Just show up. If you just show up, you're going to work. And if you work, you're going to get better. And if you show up tomorrow and the next day, the next week, the next month, you just keep doing that, I guarantee you're going to be a lot better than when you started. You know, years ago, John, when I was in the college coaching game that you're in now, 
I, I got curious. So especially back then, but I'm sure it's similar now is you got a log who shows up to practice NCAA, NCAA, you know, you got to log all that stuff. And if they don't show up, if they don't, if they miss whatever, you got to keep track of it. You got to have those, those hours all tracked. So one time I got the good idea. We had a database of it and I pulled the database for years and I just did something simple. I just said, you know, here's how many practices this person could have shown up to the total. How many did they actually show up to? And then compare that to their improvement rate when they were on the team. And guess what? Those who showed up more improved more. There was, there was a nice, you know, pretty clear relationship. And of course, there's all sorts of reasons for that, sickness, like in some legitimate sickness, maybe tests, whatever have you. Um, but it, it also made me realize that like all of those things like are legitimate reasons, but they're also kind of go into like how people live their life and prioritize their life, right? If you're getting good sleep and not out at the parties or what have you, you're probably going to be sick less uh, you know, sick less than the person who's getting five hours of sleep or four hours of sleep and burning the candle on both ends, right? So it's, it, and the same goes with, you know, although injuries are a little more haphazard, there's still uh, a tie to your recoverability. You're taking care of business. You're doing the small things. You're going to the weight room and lifting or strength work that's necessary outside of away from the the running practices, all of those things. So it all kind of ties in together. It's not just like, oh, you're a slacker, you don't show up. These are all college athletes. I mean, most of them wanted to show up, else you weren't going to last very long on the team. But I, I'm always struck by that is like, as coaches, we need to think of how do we get people there consistently? And I don't mean by being like, okay, like we have man mandatory practice, everybody it's got to be there. I mean, how do we make sure that we take care of the things that often get in the way, the lack of sleep, the sickness, the little, you know, injuries that, that, that aren't injuries, but things that make us pivot away from practice and doing something else or having to be in the training room when we're out running because we're kind of taking care of these small things instead of um, being healthy and all that stuff. So to me, it comes back to number one, which is like, how do you help people show up consistently? And that's our job as coaches. And it's a tough job to do, right? Because when we talk about the seeds of greatness and the characteristics of it, often what gets lost is the word conviction. You must have a deep conviction about what you're doing and why you're doing and what that's going to lead to if you do it right? That's the simplest thing we call it belief or faith. But most athletes I've seen who don't have a high degree of conviction are indecisive. And that's the hard part about decision-making, right? Decision-making closes all the other options and settles on one. And when we lack that and we want to have our cake and eat it too, so to speak, nothing wrong with that in general, exploring and discovering and figuring things out. But it doesn't matter the craft, you cannot be great or achieve greatness or get close to it 
however you want to define that without a very, very, very strong conviction about what you're doing. And that starts with why. It starts with consideration. You got to stop back and consider all the, you know, logical outcomes of how behaviors will impact your ability to perform or elevate or meet the demands or readiness for a task. And I talk a lot about readiness, like when I'm with my athletes and I go, you know what? You know you're ready when you don't feel you're ready. Because anytime you do something for the first time, you're never ready. Steve can tell you, he was not ready to become a dad. Uh, you know, he was not ready to become a professional coach. I was never right, not ready to become a professional coach or inherit a very mismanaged um, Division One program and become the head coach. No one's ready for this stuff, but you can be prepared. We were prepared and understood what exactly we were getting ourselves into. Steve and I were talking for months about, yeah, I'm not going to be sleeping for a couple years now. I'm going to have to get on this coffee. I got to, we got to get things organized. I got to write my next book manuscript basically now before the newborn's here. He was not ready for the newborn and what everything that she's bringing in terms of care, attention, necessity, but he was prepared. So there was a really subtle difference there between being ready and feeling you're ready versus being prepared. And I think we got to, you know, call that out and understand that that is the, one of that quote unquote secrets the greats have. Yeah, man. I'm so glad you put that up, that ready versus prepared, because like the newborn example is spot on. And any parent, any parent knows this, right? You're prepared because you've done the work, you've talked to other people, you've read things, you've you you've you've gotten everything that you can, you know, done so that you have the time and energy that you can, but then you get thrown in the crucible and you're you're never ready for it. Right. It's never like that. And I think to a large degree, that's how racing is. That's how taking on big challenges is, is that, you know, the preparation needs to be there, but you're never fully ready. And what I would say is that um, it reminds me of actually of a former athlete of mine who then went into the mil military um, and he kind of said the same thing of of the military and the kind of crazy stuff that you had to do, you know, when you get thrown in and just even for training, when you get thrown into, you know, the woods and told to survive with just what you have, like, yeah, you've done the preparation, but it's still like the first time you do it, it freaks you out. And some people don't handle it well, you know, they don't handle it well and they freak out and they lose their mind a little bit and maybe they can't become selfish or don't work with the team or whatever have you happens. And I think, again, that's a great example of what we're talking about in, in racing. And if we look at what the greats of the greats do, they have a good, it's almost like an acceptance, just like with parents, when you come into it, it's like an acceptance that you've done the work, you've done everything that you needed to prepare, but it's still going to be a test. It's still going to be things that, that you get thrown at that you're going to have no idea, right? And I think that's, that's it's like accepting that because if you don't, what tends to happen is you, you go in with this like false bravado, this false confidence, and I'm like, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. And your brain, you've sent it the message that you're ready. So your brain says, oh, don't worry about this. We got this. And then, you know, with the newborn, once you've gone on like a couple weeks of 
no sleep, your brain freaks out because it's like, what do you mean? I thought you had this, blah, blah, blah. In races, you get thrown for a loop when, you know, the first thing doesn't go well. And instead of like navigating that, you d- you default straight to panic because you th- you told your brain you were ready instead of telling your brain, I'm prepared for the challenge. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean that I know what's coming, but it means that I've done the work to put myself in this position. Yeah. And so we as coaches can then take that reality of understanding and reframe how we talk. You know, like there used to be coaches who'd be like, all right, someone did XYZ workout. They're ready to go. And it's like, no, they're not. No one's ever ready. We're, are they prepared? Are they prepared for the difficulty that's going to happen in a, you know, high level invitational where they go out at their 3K race pace or faster for the first mile and then still have to run off of that? Are they prepared for that? Not ready because no one's ever ready for that type of metabolic abrasion in a really highly competitive arena. But that's what we do in training, and that's the idea of training. And the training prepares you for those realities that you'll meet down the road. So this is always where we want to say in the nice, neat fairy tale of things are very sequential and progressive and training just gets better and better every week and this and that. Not the reality at all. Steve and I were talking offline about you know his little one's sleep schedule. And he was like, yeah, she had a period where it was like, it was good. And now there's a period where it's like, not so good. And that's progress. That's how things happen. It ebbs and it flows. But he was prepared for not it being good all the time. And so when you got that reprieve from the perceived or anticipated difficulty of something, and it was less difficult than you anticipated, then you go, oh, crap, I might be ready. A good example of this the, was a conversation I had with Craig Ingalls a couple of years ago about when he raced his first 5K. And he was like, I was prepared in my mind for it to just start hurting and for me to be suffering for you know 4,000 meters. I knew I could run 1K at the pace, but I was just prepared for an onslaught of 10 minutes of just absolute sheer pain. And then he said, yeah, then I got in it. And it really didn't start sucking until about 2K to go. And I was like, oh, this is half the time I was prepared for, for it to really be a humongously difficult uh, physical task. And so then he's like, then it seemed easy. Then I was like, oh, man, I was playing with house money and he ran pretty fast for him. So, you know, it just shows you like that different level of calculus that, say, people at the highest level of sport have when they think about being prepared for a race, even a race that's like for a 1500 meter eight guy, more like Craig Ingalls, a 5K that's far, far outside their comfort zone. And that's honestly sometimes why you run those races that are outside your comfort zone. So when you come back to your main race, it is a little bit more manageable and you're more prepared for the task of man versus always being thrown for a loop and being caught off guard when it starts to sing or the legs get heavy, quote unquote, too early on in the racing. Yeah, I think that's a another great example. And I think with high school kids especially, but even college and elite, like that distinction is so important because it is. Like what's the number one question you get asked as a high school or college coach? Am I am I ready, coach? You know? And then on the elite side, you know, that's what you get asked if you're the meat director or get told you're he's he's ready to roll or ready to Oh, run. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard that from a coach or an agent. And the reality was not even close. 
<laughs> so I, I think that's a good distinction there. And, you know, the other thing that I would say, and when we talk about what greatness really looks like, this comes to consistency and stacking. But I would, I would call it, it, it comes in the races as well, is what I've seen from great competitors is they are consistent in their competition. Meaning, maybe not quite the race results, but the ability to compete and show up is consistently there. Meaning, no matter what the race, they they figure out how to bring their game. And you often see this um, in really good competitors, especially when they're in an off distance, right? It's the 800 runner who still competes in cross country and competes pretty dang well. It's the 1500 runner who, you know, maybe like Josh Kerr runs the half marathon. It's, you know, the 1500 runner who challenges himself on the 5k on the track. Like you said, like take on those challenges and bring that competitive spirit, even in a distance or an event where they could kind of shrug their shoulders and be like, ah, like, this doesn't mean anything. Like, no one will care if I perform poorly in this one. They figure out how to show up um, no matter what, almost. Yeah, and that's, you know, the more you hear it, the more and the more you see it, the more it just becomes normal, right? But if we always have to create a lot of hype or a lot of hype music or a lot of pomp and um, circumstance around competition or you have to get this, like, bravo apex race out of yourselves every single time you go out mentally and emotionally as well as physically it's draining right i don't think i can keep this up so the idea is yes your practices should prepare you for your competitions and be more challenging and difficult than what you're going to face on race day right and with that challenge and difficult means not completing workouts it means having a high bar it means being subject to very very difficult standards and training that might not get all your mileage in for the day that you had like assigned yourself on the piece of paper when you looked at what the training plan was. I mean, I've had several athletes at Portland State who they weren't able to complete every part of the workout, right? We're doing threshold stuff. We pull them out for a lap on the track. They they tap it back in, they tap back out. But then finally, like uh, one of our true freshmen, she was able to finally complete everything that was asked of her on a workout day here last week. And she had this buzzing sense of accomplishment. She was so happy. She's like, I did it all. And I go, yeah, look, five weeks, you're able to do it. Right. And it's the reality is we have to, as coaches understand like 5,000 or 6,000 meter cross country, 26.2 miles for marathon, whatever your race distance is being, they're not changing the distance. Right based on your ability or where you are. So we got to adapt to the demand of the competition. We got to move ourselves and move our team closer towards being able to fulfill the competitive task demands. And we do that in practice. And we do that week in and week out, stacking it. And it's okay if you don't complete everything. It's just a matter of do you put the did you accept the challenge and give it your best effort? Because surely, but solely over the course of those weeks and days that we stack, then you start to meet and eventually exceed that task demand. And then that's where greatness comes in. Yeah. I, I think that's another wonderful example because, you know, it's 
really, as I said at the beginning, like breakthroughs look like they, they come overnight from some magic thing that you do, but they don't. It's the five weeks or the 12 weeks or whatever that leads up to the point where you can have that breakthrough, whether that's in completing something or racing something. It's it's always that stacking consistent work that kind of gets us to that place. And that's often why, you know, on the college and elite level, you often see, we'll say like really talented athletes who are able to put together maybe a season or two when they go through like injuries all the time but it's really hard to sustain after a while even though that talent hasn't gone away because like you need the consistency you need the stacking of those workouts that get you there you know uh, the, uh, the another reminder of 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 this that I'm you know I'm thinking of is I remember way back when when I was first getting into marathon training I had a wonderful conversation with Ryan Hall on um, what he learned from training with Meb. And he said, oh, it's pretty simple. Meb knew that if, I forget the exact number, but if he could get in like three or four consistent, longer marathon pace tempos, or whatever we want to call them, progression tempos, whatever, like he knew he was going to be okay for the marathon. So his training, like, yeah, there was a lot more to it, but his training was consistency to get in these. He didn't need to knock them out of the park, but he needed just that, whatever, 12 to 15 miles at a good clip. And if he could do that, he knew he was going to show up on race day and, and be ready to roll. And I think, I, I think that, like, that's part of the other part of it is this, this is this, like, awareness of what puts you in that, we come back to preparation. What sort of preparation do you need to be prepared on race day to get what you can out of yourself? And and the caveat there I'd go is there's it's it's very tempting to say, okay, I need this crazy workout, right? I need to do the most insane 10-mile tempo or the 10 400s at this pace before I go run my race and have my breakthrough. But that's often, that's not what athletes like Meb or others did. They're not trying to prove themselves in practice. They're trying to say, Hey, I've got the consistent work in. I'm prepared to take on this task and see how good I can be. It's a, yeah, the, these subtle language shifts or mind shifts go a long way when you can kind of get that specificity and evidence about what it really takes to not only one elevate yourself as well as elevate those around you but collectively with your coach elevate a group of people to a higher level and i'll use another kobe bryant you know quote that really resonated with me is you know he's there's this one out there that he talks about why he didn't uh, pass the ball to certain guys on his team. And, you know, some people thought he was like, you know, an asshole. He goes, he goes, I see them. I see them every day. And I see them walk in 10 minutes before practice. And I see him leave right when practice is over. And he goes, I'm there an hour, two hours before and after trying to perfect my craft and get better at this and elevate to the highest level possible. And honestly, I don't 
trust their work ethic. And if I don't trust their work ethic, then I don't trust them to complete an assignment that needs to happen when a lot's on the line, like in a game situation. You know, and he's right. He's right. Like if you're you're saying you want to be great, you're saying you want to be better, you say you want to compete at a high level, or you want to achieve some type of success or qualification or, you know, mark, the question is not just, okay, great, do you show up to practice? But are you showing up to practice a half hour before and taking care of any little aches or pains that may be in your way or stretching or just giving you some space? Are you there a half hour after, you know, talking to coach, debriefing, this or that? Or is it just another thing to do in the day? And it's like, great, it's just like showing up to class. I was here when I was told to be here and I'm compliant and that's where it starts, but that's also where it stops. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people budget just for the minimum amount of compliance. And you will see some return. You will see improvement 1,000%. You'll get better. But the question is, will you become great? And that's where we have to step back and go, probably not. Because it's just that decision, that commitment, that conviction to what you're doing which then makes it a priority in every way, shape, and form. So it becomes something where you're like, great, I'm going to focus a lot of my energy on this. Not forever, not for till the end of time, but for a sustained period, right? I knew I was taking this job, right? I came in, I was running like, you know, 80, 90 miles a week in volume, doing all this flux stuff, super fit. I was like, man, maybe I can go mess around and try to get like the master's American record in the steeplechase, which is like slower than my college PR. And I was like, oh man, this would be great. Boom. I'm now like weekend warrior dad. I've got one day a week to run and lift because it just requires the, you know, bulk of my resources and energy to get this program and these athletes and everything, you know, just oriented in the right direction and then recruit and then hire coaches and do all that. But you know what? I told my bosses, my idea, I said, hey, I'm prepared. I know exactly what I'm walking into. I know exactly about how long it's going to require me to make this trade-off. And I'm okay with that to get this to where it needs to be in as rapid order as possible. Not forever, you know, not for years. We're talking for a couple months. But again, nothing would like make me more happy at the moment than to go for a run or, you know, go for a lift session on a consistent day-to-day basis like I was doing prior to this. But that's not reality. And if I want to create a space for young men and women to be able to, you know, have an opportunity to thrive and grow and develop and become better in a lot of areas of their life than they, they thought they could, then I need to do take the time and, you know, till the garden, so to speak, and till the soil and prepare it. Because I can't say that and then not do it and then expect that return and then get frustrated that's not happening because I didn't show up to practice, you know, an hour, 30 minutes before and then stay late. It's just what it takes to be great. And there's no other way around it. You know, it reminds me of uh, something I've written about before and then conversations I've had with, you know, even a conversation with uh, Shalane Flanagan, the, you know, obviously former elite marathoner. Um, is we get this idea of balance wrong. We think it's being able to do all things good at once, right? It's like, to use your example, it's being able to run at a high level, coach at a high level, like be the best in this, 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 and this, but that's not what it means. Like balance to me is the ability to choose what you're kind of 
focusing on right now, understanding that you want to zoom out and have your seasons kind of balanced, but you're going to have seasons that are disproportionately, you know, focused on a few things, right? And, and that's the maybe the example I, I would use or the way I would phrase it is you want your life periodized, right? Where some periods of your life, you're going to focus on very hard intervals. Other periods, you're going to go long and slow distance stuff. And and that's the same. Like I look at it in my my career, you know, we mentioned parenting and all that stuff. I knew that I was going to have to have a season where I kind of cranked on my writing. <laughs> and, just, and, you know, I, John, I, I told you this. I was like, yeah, I'm just cranking. I'm just, we're getting, we're in get stuff done mode. We're in, you know, Steve, when he was in his twenties and needed to just crank stuff out. Oh, like, I've seen it. I've seen it when you, you know, yeah. wrote the science of running, when you wrote do hard things. I know what that mode looks like. <laughs> you just get in it. And like, you know, you understand that other things are going to be neglected and all that stuff, but you, and you, but the other thing is it, you understand that it's a finite period of time and you can't live in that space. And I think that's the other thing that, you know, really good competitors is they're able to turn it off when it comes to time to turn it off. You know, when they get that break after the marathon season, like they go enjoy their family or they go, you know, on vacation or whatever have you, because you can't sustain it 24, seven, 365 days a year at the intensity that, that, you know, you might for that period. This is why marathon cycles. I mean, I remember, I think it was, you know, I learned this from Canova and others is like, this is why marathon cycles, if you try and to stretch them out for too long, instead of 12 weeks or 16 weeks, you started to go 18, 20, 24 weeks, whatever. They almost, the long cycles never work. Why? Because it's too long being that focused and that on that razor's edge of training, both volume and intensity, that something's going to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that's the thing, right? It, it's a, a periodized, greatness is pu- highly periodized. I'm always making calendars. I'm always making schedules. I'm always saying, all right, for this period of time, it's going to be like this. Because if we don't do that planning, if we don't have that awareness, right, burnout happens real quick because you, quote unquote, start living this reality and you think in your mind it's going to be like this forever. And then all of a sudden you start doing that future tripping, right? Because the brain's always trying to predict how to, um, you know, release or keep resources that it has available to it. And so if you think that the, the tough training periods or the tough startup periods or, you know, lack of sleep periods are going to be how it's always going to be, real, real quick, you got a problem. And real, real quick, you start stressing out and things start eroding, you know, in there. But if you know that it's just a con- a, a, a sacred period of time that you're thankful for and grateful for that you get this time to do this work, then you understand it's just, we got to do the work right now. And I think that's sometimes we forget that intensity that people in high competitors and elite competitors bring to the table as they understand, man, right now we're going to compete and work and push our bodies and do this and that. I mean, versus say, you hear about it all the time where 
when people step back from competing at a high level or pushing their bodies, you know, they'll like gain 10 pounds or, you know, go on just like Oreo, you know, cookies only for a day or two or whatever that, you know, might silly thing might be. But a lot of time we measure this fake toughness and false bravado as it's an everyday grind and this and that. And it's like, can't we humans, we pulsate. It's impossible. So it's, as a coach too, it's important to understand like there's a time when it's high intensity, high pressure, high commitment, high, you know, everything. And it can feel like a threat, but it's about preparing us for the high stakes arena that we're going to be walking ourselves into. And then once it's done, complete check out, back off, chill, see you in two, three weeks, no big deal, take it off easy. Like I would tell like, you know, some of my athletes who enjoyed wine, I go, just drink all the wine you want. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just like, I'm not promoting alcohol, but it's like, it's okay now to check out. And if we don't have that balance uh, afford us when we know when it's time to check in and time to check out, that's where we can kind of lose the plot, so to speak, and burnout starts to creep. Yeah, I mean, and there's research behind this, right? It's the difference between, um, I forget the name of it, but it's essentially like productively competitive and like hyper competitive, right? The example I like to use here is like, productive competitors can flip that switch. They know they know how to show up on race day when it matters. They know you know when to compete. The hyper competitive athlete tries to compete in everything. So they go home. The example I like to use, as I said, is they they go home and they're you know competing with their uh, five year old kid in uh, tiddlywinks or whatever or basketball, and they won't let them win, right? Or they won't like acknowledge the difference. Like they have to, it's like the game of Monopoly at family game night is like do or die. Instead of realizing that, like, hey, this is a this is a space where I don't need to go full competition mode. And what you see is that like, yeah, those people can succeed, but they often burn out because they can't, they don't have that off period, right? So this is getting back to the characteristics. I think one of the big things is, is yes, consistency stacking, but it's also knowing how and when to flip that switch so that you can stay in it for a really long time. Because if you look at the competitors that are truly great, the Kipchoge's or whatever have you, they are able to show up for a long time. Or I'll give an example that I know personally, like when I worked with Sarah Hall, who's still competing at a high level, you know, is she's really, she was really good at knowing how to compete when it matters and like making sure it was enjoyable competition. So while other athletes might have kind of dreaded some races or thought like, oh, this isn't fun. Like this is really anxiety, you know, causing this is defining and you get that kind of like fear state of what if I mess up? What if I don't run fast enough? Blah, blah, blah. Sarah really had her breakthrough once she realized that like she enjoyed racing and she enjoyed racing in her own way. So she was going to do it. And, and, and that allowed her to again, like stay in it for a long time because it became part of the, you know, competition was, yeah, it was, it was tough, but it was fun. It was enjoyable. It wasn't the thing that where you get super hyper competitive and think that this is do or die at the, you know, Joe Schmo 
5k race and is self-defining which is really you have to it takes a lot of like you know mental energy to get up for that and then to handle that and then come back so it's 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 staying in the game long enough by like knowing how to flip that switch and compete when it matters yeah and there it's important to give you know specificity and clarity of this language of competition right we have intrinsic and extrinsic competition and practice preparation a lot of that is intrinsic conversation or competition so that when you do meet extrinsic competition on that pinnacle race day or those pinnacle series of races or meets or performances you are prepared and have the um, re- reserves ready for it when we are always stuck in the cycle of intrinsic competition and comparison every day every workout every week how many miles did you run versus how many miles i ran how fast was your split versus how fast was my split we'd burn out and those are we have to understand what this looks like here's an example i'll give with shalane flanagan again uh, about 10 years ago exactly i was pacing her before she uh, competed at the U.S. trial or the U.S. championships in the 10,000 meter in Des Moines, Iowa to make a world team. I believe it was in Moscow that year. And, um, you know, I was her rabbit for a workout, you know, week before, just easy, you know, standard little mile cut down, four laps, three laps, two laps, one laps, right? Six, 12, eight, four, four meter jog in between, just a, you know, grease the gears type session. And so I'm sitting there and we're doing the workout and like, man, I'm boom, coming through the first 800 of that 12 or a mile, exactly what Jerry told me to right on pace, smooth, consistent, man, as a rabbit, couldn't have done a better job. And she, we go through, Jerry reads the split, get around the corner of the bend. She's like, I need you to go faster now. And I go, shit. Okay. You're the boss. You know, and so I go a little faster, right? And Jerry's like, yeah, oh, it's fast, blah, 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 slow down. And like, she's like, stay fast. I go, okay. You, she's like, she's the one who's getting ready for the, the meet, not Jerry, right? So I like, do it. Jerry, you know, Jerry does Jerry things, doesn't really say much in between the the rep and the, the recovery jog. We get going and halfway through the 12, again, I'm right on pace, you know, money, boom, 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 boom. He goes, what the fuck did I tell you faster? Like I said, Oh shit. Okay. Jump right into gear. Right. Same thing happens on the 800. She's like, I need you to make me hurt because I need to be ready for how much is going to sting at the end in the last mile. So get out and stay fast. Let me chase you. I said, great. Did that for the mile or the 800. Another quarter jog. We come to the 400 and she goes, you know, with 200 go in that quarter, she goes, make me fucking hurt. Sprint now, dipshit. Like just cursing at me in that Boston accent. But this is the mindset that she had was she was getting herself mentally prepared for a physical insult that was going to come to her a week away. And she understood that practice was a crucible for that even a week out. And she understood a cut down session of a mile 12, eight, four from a volume standpoint wasn't going to take a lot out of her, but she needed to have that, you know, um, simulation of this physical sensation she was going to meet in the task and the demands of the competition the next week to prepare her. And it was a total mind shift for me 
back then of like, whoa, this is actually how you prepare runners for competition. Not to run out of time or a mark, but competition when all that matters is who crosses the line first in a championship or qualifying uh, race setting. It's approaching instead of avoiding. Mm-hmm. Right? It's and, a- and it was just solely her intrinsic motivation. She just wanted to get herself better. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. It's that, that approach instead of avoid, intrinsic instead of extrinsic. It's like understanding and listening to your body and know what knowing what you're trying to do and what you're trying to feel. And, you know, if I was to <laughs> sum things up with, a, you know, greatness, it's having that intuitive feel, right? Is that's what you often see. And that's why they're really great competitors because they don't get distracted and caught up with like, oh, like, you know, this time the the watch tells me this or whatever tells me this or to do this, I need to run X workout exactly these splits is like there's this trust in your body that you just learn and develop over time. You understand what it's telling you and you understand when to listen to it and when not to and how to put it in a place that prepares you for the crucible of racing. And like the more you can do that, the better off you are. And what I mean by that is often like nowadays, especially with where we can measure everything is we kind of get in our own way a little bit because like we start second guessing ourselves. We start like letting the watch dictate our pace or whatever have you way too much. We start, you know, freaking out if it feels like we're, we're out of zone three and in zone four, whatever, (laughs) whatever the the zone is you're training and thinking that our workout is lost when in reality, some workouts are like, you know, forget the physiological, physiological zone. What are you preparing for? Mm -hmm. And, And that's, that's it. Yeah. That's where it's easy to measure kind of superficial markers and then put a lot of emotional investment into what they might validate. But it's just one data set, one part of the holistic picture, right? It's also someone's approach where, you know, the concept of getting better and striving for personal greatness or excellence or what have you, loving the grind, chop wood, carry water, all the cliches that are out there is exactly this, where, you know, you're not ever going to say something's going to be easy because you've already set yourself up for failure if it's easy. Because if it's something easy, it's not worth doing, right? But if you are, you know, ready or prepared, I should say, and you have conditioned yourself to tolerate or handle the discomfort, to create a situation where you are suffering or in a high, riding the red line of like that threshold, right, so to speak, in running, then what you know without a shadow of a doubt in your mind is if you can deliver that on race day and you can make yourself and sustain yourself feeling that way and keep moving and competing, everyone else around you is feeling exactly the same way. Otherwise, they would take off and you wouldn't be, they wouldn't be around you in a race, right? And we often forget that. We're searching for easy, but easy has nothing to do with greatness. Greatness is what we want. And so we should search for preparedness to achieve that greatness. So easy is the enemy. Always has been, always will be. It, but it's people like to have that quote unquote swag or filter that, oh yeah, baller, it's easy. It's raw. It's the, you know, in other 
sports, it's the ESPN highlight reel thing where you made the top 10 on one day. But, you know, it's the reality is we don't esteem that person who made that highlight reel once in a balloon, balloon or here or there. We esteem those people in any kind of discipline in any modern society that consistently show up in a very um, successful way over the long haul, over the years. Steve Kerr is a great coach because, you know, he is considered a great coach because of how many championships in a row the Golden State Warriors were able to produce. Same with Greg Popovich with the, you know, um, San, San Antonio Spurs, right? They're not winning championships right now. Does that make them less of a coach? Probably not. But it's about that process. And you know there's going to be ebbs and there's going to be flows. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. And it's never, never easy. And anyone who tells you it's easy is lying to your face or you don't really know. <laughs> I, I couldn't have summed it up better. I think that is a great point to end on, which is, you know, also greatness is they want to hear it. They want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear the nice facade or the fake niceness or the, you know, whatever. They just they just want to know. And it's that pursuit and exploration that makes the difference. So, man, you summed it up brilliantly. I can't add anything else because it's that consistency, that showing up, that preparation, that, you know, getting out of the easy. Don't take the easy decision, right? Train your body to approach and embrace the difficult one. If you can do that, you got to be in a good place. And yeah, the only thing I can add, Steve, is you know, make it personal. This is what people never got about Alan Webb and why he was so emotional when he was a competitor. It was so effing personal to Alan. It was he put his heart and soul into it that when he had a poor race or a poor outing. It was, that's why, you know, quote unquote, throw fits at the track or throw things. It's like, yeah, we want more of that. I want that type of frustration that's self-directed. And I thought I was prepared, but I'm not. And I'm very, very upset about it because it's so personal. We want more of that, right? And the best way to make it personal, uh, you know, and to demonstrate it from an athlete's perspective, right, is as a coach, you got to make it personal too. The question I ask my assistants every week, what more do you need from me in terms of resources, coaching, education, exposure, opportunity to get better next week? What do you need from me? And if you're listening to this podcast and you're not a scholar, you got to ask yourself, are you really getting better by just consuming this, you know, free content Steve and I love and will always and continue to give forever. But really, are you leveling yourself up and are you making it personal in a way that is tangible and that you can demonstrate to your athletes? Or are you just going through the motions and just taking the cheap and easy route that, yeah, I'll get you a little bit better, but it will actually get you great is the question. You know, that's the, that's also the secret to great writing, John. Mm -hmm. it's every, and you know this, every book I've ever put out, well, I might not always talk about, you know, how it affects me personally is a problem I was trying to solve. I'm just saying, I mean, science of running, trying to figure out training when I was in grad school and after after that uh, peak performance, trying to figure out if you could perform at a high level without out burning out, passion paradox, navigating obsession, right? Versus harmonious passion, obsessive pushing you to cheating, which I wrote that book while navigating the world of, you know, someplace. Um, and then, you know, do hard things, 
looking at resilience and toughness, which is something that I've thought about for a long time. And in that book, include personal stories for why you, you know, it's no different in life. Like you write the books that you need in life. Like you take on the challenges that you need to. So I, I couldn't mm-hmm. agree more. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, that's the challenge or the charge, right. To all listeners on this podcast is write it down. How's it personal to you? Whatever it, it is for you and who, whatever your orientation is, coach, athlete, fan, you know, performance seeker, what have you, how personal is it? And what, what are you, what are the steps are you taking to become great at this thing that you have said, Hey, I'm going to plant this flag in the ground. I'm going to scale this mountain. I'm going to go towards that because without that clarity of of an honest inventory, honesty is like the most important thing you really can't move forward. Like every time Steve gives me a manuscript for one of his books, I go, eh, that's okay. It's kind of okay. Eh, you can do better. <laughs> and yeah, he goes back and he writes, he goes, shit, hey, that's a lot better than our first draft. I'm like, oh, okay. And you know, that's what he gets from the people who read his early manuscripts, his editors. We hold him to a high bar with all the works he puts out. And that's why the books are freaking awesome and freaking great and freaking impactful is not because it was the first draft. It was like the 30th draft of this idea. Absolutely. So there you go. That's the secret <laughs> to writing. I got to tell you, everyone's first draft sucks. So uh, there facts. you go. Facts on facts on facts. 100%. So we hope that <laughs> you know you enjoyed this and this is why you should get our, not our first draft, which is kind of the podcast because we just roll through it. But our final draft is the scholar program where we put a lot of thought and design and emphasis and in, into everything we do. So check it out. Thanks for listening. Um, we appreciate all of you and uh, keep on racing, keep on coaching.